Um, again, if you're here as a visitor, we welcome you today. We anticipated some people would visit because of VBS and things, and so um, we're not always like this. We don't always decorate the platform so cool, and uh, so that's kind of neat. <clears throat> we don't always get to do fun songs like that, but we try to do fun songs for Jesus all the time. Um, I'm one of the pastors, Pastor Steve, the guy who led the verses is the lead pastor, and then Colby is our youth director, and so um, if you have any questions about anything, for sure, talk to us or anybody here, and we, 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 live, we put all the cards on the table, there aren't anything to hide, so we want to have you worship Jesus with us if it all works out. Well, as is our customary practice, we teach through the Bible. Um, very rarely do we go on a, any kind of a topical excursion, although sometimes we need to, and, and sometimes we do. But even when we do a topical series, we try to base it on the Scripture because this is Wyoming Park Bible Fellowship. We believe that the Bible is God's Word, and it's authoritative, and it's true. And so it's got things for us to say. And so today's lesson is our series continuing from the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, oh, Hey, before I start that, though, I'm supposed to remember um, tonight at 7 o'clock is a church fellowship Sunday party, right? S-U-N-D-A-E Sunday, like the kind with ice cream. And so um, it's partly to celebrate and to remember things that happened this last week. And so if you're a VBS worker, you for sure need to come. But if you're not a VBS worker, you for sure need to come because you need to hear all the good stories and have ice cream with us. And so the only thing you need to bring is your dessert appetite and something to put on ice cream. We'll, carry, we'll take care of the ice cream, but you, you bring your favorite topping and then other people, you bring enough to share, right? And so other people get to use your topping maybe. And so that'd be kind of fun. So that's tonight. The details are in the bulletin, but that's tonight at 7 o'clock. So um, make sure you can come for that. Okay, as I was saying, we're, we're continuing our series on the book of Corinthians, and uh, last time I was on this message, we were talking a lot about the passage in verse or chapter 6 about uh, sexual purity and all those things, and I remember I had warned you all, are you sure you want to come that Sunday? And then afterwards, I said, well, we got through it, and then I got home, and uh, some people said, so what was so scary? What was the third rail? What was the thing that was such a frightening topic? And if you are aware of things that are moving in the Christian culture in our world today, then you did recognize the third rail very well, I'm sure. And if you're aware of other pressures in our society and culture, then you would have picked up on it. But if you aren't necessarily aware of those things and you're just sort of used to good Bible teaching, then maybe you didn't pick up on it. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that message if you still have confusion, but let me uh, make it clear in case there isn't some clarity. You may realize, you may not know, that in uh, February of this year, the United Methodist Church, uh, as one of many churches, had meetings to decide what their policy would be with regard to whether or not they would have uh, pastors or uh, clergy be LGBT. And so they, uh, there was a conservative movement, mostly from other continents that are part of the United Methodist Convention. And in that convention, they voted to ban LGBT, practicing LGBT people to, um, to be a pastor at, our church, at their church. 
And part of the justification for that in their minds is that, um, wait a minute, those who think it's okay for somebody who's practicing that to be a pastor, their reasoning is that these are committed relationships and the Bible doesn't speak to it specifically that way and that the world accepts these things and so we're, you know, as long as it's a committed monogamous relationship, there's nothing wrong with it. Well, the examples we learned from Chapter 6 of Corinthians, last time we were together, was that we used to be that way. We used to have sin patterns in our life. But when a person becomes a believer, God changes them, and they start to submit to God's law. And then Paul gives 10 example patterns of sin that are used to illustrate that if you still think that those things are okay, if you still practice those things, those passions, those sins... You are not part of the family of God. You have not been saved. And so the issue is, is homosexuality on that list? One of the things on the list is stealing. And again, Paul uses the example that if you were a thief as a practice of life, that that's the way you oriented yourself as a thief, and then you come to knowledge of God, you need to repent of your sin, and you may not be perfect, you may still want to steal, that's fine. Your desires are not the same as sin. It's if you act on it, right? If you steal something from your neighbor, then you're stealing. But for someone to say, hey, I've been a thief before and I'm a thief now. I'm always going to be a thief and there's nothing really wrong with stealing. Actually, the store can afford it anyway. And so I think stealing is fine. And so stealing is okay. And as a matter of fact, as a thief, um, I'm going to be the pastor of your church. And we would conclude from Paul's writing and from the scriptures that that doesn't compute. You can't say the sin pattern is okay and still serve in that way. We're not talking about desire. We're not talking about temptation. We're talking about actions, a life pattern that's based on that kind of sinful pattern. And such as such, then, homosexuality is clearly in the list at least two times. And so we would conclude that at this church, we would believe that it would be a sin for a person to practice an LGBT lifestyle. It's against God's definition of marriage. And it's, a, it's sexual immorality, just like it would be wrong for um, a person to be a pastor who was living with a person who he wasn't married to. And so that would be sexual immorality. And for, for me to stand up and say, hey, I'm really committed to this woman. I know we're not married, but it, you know, I, we just don't want to do that. We're just going to live together and uh, sleep in the same house, sleep in the same bed, but we're not going to be married. You should not let me be your pastor, right? Because I'm violating God's rules about sexual purity. And that's just the way it is, according to the Bible. So that's the third rail, right? So that was the thing. And just in case you thought I wasn't clear, I wanted to make sure I wasn't afraid to say those things, but I also wanted to be sensitive about them. And so there are brothers and sisters in Christ who think differently about this. They would interpret that passage in a different way. And I would challenge them that they are probably not interpreting it correctly. It's pretty clear. And so, but that's what the issue was. And I appreciate you all for being so encouraging to me and understanding. And if you still have questions or anything, I'm for sure willing to talk to you about that. That wasn't the main point of the message itself, though. It was just one of the things that we learned along the way. So if I can get you to recall, the, the primary things we tried to learn last time was to honor God with our bodies. 
Um, part of the Corinthian problem is they were really steeped in Greek philosophies, and one of those Greek philosophies is that what you think in your spirit, what your mind, that's what's ideal and perfect and true, and your body is always inferior. As a matter of fact, your body's holding you back. And, as, and, and really, the spirit is good, but the body is bad. And so it, since the body is bad, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. You can do anything you want because it doesn't matter because the only thing that really matters is your spirit on the inside. That's sort of a pagan uh, Greek philosophy. And it's not true because in Christianity, God cares very much about your body. As a matter of fact, we're not trying to escape our bodies. Our bodies are going to be made new. We're going to get new bodies. And the key, key teaching of Jesus is that there's a resurrection of the body. We get a new body. Jesus' own body was resurrected from the dead. Jesus wasn't inferior because he became flesh. It was actually the most glorious mystery of all of time, that God, the person God could also inhabit material flesh, could be a person, could have a body as a human being. And so it's a beautiful thing. So our, God, our, our bodies matter to God. And you can't twist things around and say, well, since our bodies don't matter anyway, let me do whatever I want. That's, that's what they were doing in Corinth. And so, so we learned that we need to honor God with our body. And so the first one, the way to do that was to consider the price that was paid. I am not my own. The Lord Jesus Christ, because of my sin, I have rebelled against God. I am, I am trapped in my disobedience. And I am such a sinner, I lost it all. But because of God's love for me, Jesus came and he lived in his body a perfect life. But then he had to offer his body on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And so the Lord Jesus, his own body was naked and abused and he was ashamed and he was mistreated and he was horribly crucified. And worse than that, God the Father even turned his back on him and made him sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that he would pay the penalty for our sin and his perfect righteous life, he never ever sinned before, could be attributed to our accounts. That's what the gospel is. So we lost it all and he paid it all. He did it all and now we receive it all. If you believe in Jesus, if you trust him, all of his perfect acts of righteousness are applied to us and all of his purity is applied to us. And no matter what my desires are and how evil I still am in my, my old self, my old nature, God still loves me and accepts me and I, I'm acceptable in his sight because I'm in Jesus. And so the way that I honor God with my body, one of the key ways I do so is to think about the price that was paid. When I'm tempted to sin with my body, I need to think about the price Jesus' body paid for my sin. If my hand wants to steal, I need to remember his hand with a nail in it and the suffering that he incurred so that my hand would honor him. I am not my own. My body does not belong to me. I was bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. So that's, that's the flies to all of us. We all need to understand that. And then the other thing is that we want to give God the gift of great cost. It's, one, it's nothing, you know, if I gave Tammy, a, hey, Tammy, it's our, our 50th anniversary, which it's not, but I need a special one. A 50th anniversary. This year is only 36, which is still pretty special. So our 36th anniversary, really, really special. I'm going to give you a popsicle stick and a taco. And that's our, that's our big, you know, that's no gift of great cost. What, what's the meaning in that, right? A gift without value 
is no gift. And what does God want us to do? God wants us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And it's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. The hardest thing in my, my whole human experience is self-control. Making my body do what I know it should do and stopping my body from doing what it thinks it wants to do. That's eating and everything else, right? And so we, we need to remember that when we offer our bodies to God, when we, when we say, I, want, I have sexual desire, I want to do these things, but I'm going to say no because they displease you. I'm going to give God my body. And it's a beautiful gift because it's so hard to give. It's a precious gift. And God is honored by that. God gets glory through the warfare and victory over sin. I wish it wasn't a battle, but it's always a battle all the time, every day, all the time. Amen? That's the Christian life. And somehow God did it that way so that he could show through our weakness the amazing power of his strength. You know how a person gets out of being an alcoholic? They have to admit they're an alcoholic. And they have to live their whole life saying, I'm an alcoholic. And if they ever get to the point where they say, I'm not an alcoholic, I don't care about that stuff, they just open the door to fall. And in a similar way, in a much more profound way, I'm a sinner. I'm always going to be a sinner. And unless I realize the danger of my own sinfulness all the time, I'm going to fall into big trouble. And so I need to live all the time with helpers from other people who hold me uh, on the straight and narrow and, and love for God and remembering who I belong to. And out of, that, out of that process, us, a whole group of us here, right, we're all recovering addicts to sin. <laughs> That's every one of us. We give glory to God by the progress made. Isn't it amazing how much progress we've made through God's glory? So that's last week's, or not last week's, but last time's message from Corinthians. And so now we're going to go into a part of Corinthians that talks about marriage and singleness, and then uh, also divorce and separation is kind of in the same thing. So if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I'll read to you the passages that we're going to um, talk about today, and then... I'll stop a few times, and then we'll come back and look at some notes. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to do verses 1 to 9 first. And so it starts with this phrase, now for the matters you wrote about. And so Paul has been addressing specific issues, and now he's starting to address specific letters, issues that they had written him about. So apparently there's a letter from Corinth, from Corinthian leaders to Paul, say, hey, we have a bunch of issues. What about this? What about this? What about this? And so now he begins a section of 1 Corinthians where he addresses them. And we have no idea what the letter was. The only way we know about the letter is because Paul says, hey, that thing you wrote me about. So this is our clue, right? And then his next phrase is, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So that the NIV translates that with quote marks. And so that's probably, that's how I would interpret it too, but the point is, is that there's a phrase that, again, the Corinthians seem to have a bunch of slogans, like the body's for food and food for the body. Um, all things are lawful. All things are lawful. They had all these phrases they would use, and they kind of became bywords, and they were misunderstood. And this is apparently one of the phrases where they we would say, hey, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. I think that's the King James way of translating it. It's good for not touching a woman. That's good. Now, 
Paul's got a little dilemma here. Because in some ways that is sort of good, but in other ways that's not sort of good. You see, it matters why you do what you do. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and God would still hold you culpable. You can do the wrong thing for the wrong reason. That'd be bad anyway, right? But just because you end up at the right spot, if you get there for the wrong reason, then you're not operating under the truth and you displease the Lord. God wants to know the motives of our heart, right? The, the Pharisees would pray to God faithfully. They got to the right spot, but they did so for the wrong reasons. They wanted to be seen by other human beings. Oh, what a great prayer that guy is. And they did it for the wrong reasons. And so in the same way here, there's a good principle here. It's good for a man not to touch a woman, but they had, they had mixed in their Greek philosophy and again had kind of come to the conclusion that since the body was inferior and bad and somehow the spirit is more perfect and, and better, if you really want to follow Jesus, you don't touch anybody. Right? You start to abstain. And so that kind of thinking apparently from the commentaries I read and other historical things, had probably seeped in even to marriages. Hey, our marriage is super spiritual. We love Jesus so much, we sleep in separate bedrooms. That's the kind of talk that was going on. And so Paul has got a dilemma because for the wrong reasons, people have started to desecrate or denigrate to undervalue the marriage bed and to turn things all messed up. So that's the phrase that he's going to deal with here. Okay? So now for the matters you wrote about, one of them being it's good for a man not to touch a woman. But I just want you to know, since their sexual morality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. So in their context, because of the amount of shrine prostitutes and all these things, in this Greek philosophy, if you mixed in this, it's good for a man not to marry or not to touch a woman. If you mix that in with um, what's good for the body, body for the food and food for the body, it doesn't matter, and um, all things are lawful. Apparently, it's possible that some of these guys actually said, "Our marriage is so good, we have separate bedrooms, but I go to the prostitute twice a week because hey, it doesn't matter anyway." You see how they had twisted it, but it's Greek philosophy that had led them to that same kind of dichotomy of viewing their body as not mattering. They thought their body was just like the car. You could drive through the mud and leave it in the garage. It didn't matter. And so that's not right. So Paul says, since there's so much immorality, you need to understand that you're supposed to be faithful to your spouse, right? You're supposed to be um, with that thing. Okay. And then the wife does not have... So here's another way of saying it. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Now, if you were the original audience hearing this verse, everybody would have probably been just fine with that first sentence. Yeah, yeah, this is a man's world, right? But that second one, in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields to his wife. That is culturally radical. Really, in Paul's day in Corinth, 
that is weird that the man's body belongs to his wife, there's pretty much the attitude that you could take it anywhere you wanted and do anything you wanted to do. If you think uh, we live in a, a um, uh, misogynist society today, you have no idea what these pagan worlds were like. And so the idea that a man's body belongs to his wife is really radical and honors women in the way that the Bible does that a lot of people don't realize. All right, so continuing on. So do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so you may devote yourselves to prayer. So if you want to, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> if you want to uh, abstain for a time, uh, that's okay, but that's not an obligation. It's if you, if you want to, perhaps, but he said, but then make sure you come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Do not elevate this idea of separate bedrooms all the time as some sort of spiritual inside track. That's not how God made marriage. And that's a distortion of any of this such thing. So, so he's going, he says, I say this as a concession, that you can abstain if you want to, but not as a command. There's nothing in the Bible that says you should abstain from this practice as a married couple in order to some, reach some kind of spiritual nirvana. It's not in the Bible. Do you understand? It's distorting the scriptures. And then he goes, but it's still good for a man not to touch a woman. Why does he mean by that? He said, well, I wish all of you were as I am. But each of you has this, your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. So Paul is single. And so he wishes that everybody could be single. And there's some benefits of being single. And he's going to talk about those more later. But just because there's benefits in being single and just because you can do some things for God when you're single does not mean that it's better for a married couple to act like they're single. Do you get it? It's pretty straightforward, actually. So then he says, now to the unmarried and the widows. So these are people who have never married or have been married before and their, their spouse died. He said, it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So it's good if you can stay unmarried, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So it's okay to get married. So then the next verses are, talks about separation and divorce. We're going to come back to that next time. And then verse 17 to 24 talks about, Paul just kind of takes a sidestep here, and we'll talk about this next time too, but he kind of says, you need to understand that there's some things about your life that don't matter to God. And so if you were... Uh, if you were circumcised when you were saved, then you don't need to get uncircumcised just because circumcision doesn't matter. And vice versa, if you're uncircumcised when you got saved, you don't need to get circumcised. They don't matter to God. You stay how you were. If you were a slave and you get saved, you can still be a save, slave. You don't have, but if you can get your freedom, that's cool. But if you are free when you got saved, you don't have to go be a slave, right? You, you can stay free. So he's trying to, Remind them that you can stay in the station you're in. There's a lot of things about our life status, what city we live in, um, you know, how long our hair is, a lot of things in different contexts that don't matter to God. And some people are making it a big deal. Oh, now I'm saved. I have to act like I'm, I have to get single. And, and some were even perhaps divorcing just to be more faithful to God. And that's not what he wanted them to do at all. All right, so that's what those verses talk about. So then we're going to pick it up now in verse 25 and pick up um, Paul's instructions to virgins, people that have never married. And he says, I have 
no command from the Lord specifically, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I am an apostle. And he says, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such equipment or such commitment? Then do not look for a wife. If there's, there's, if life, if there's a crisis mode, there's a lot of persecution going on, and Paul is just saying, hey, you don't need to change something all the time. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. There's no such thing as a better version of a Christian who's single. You get it? But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. That's not a verse you want your wife to quote to you, by the way. <laughs> right? But is that not true? Will anybody stand up and say, that is not true? I, I know it's hard to stand up in church. But, but that's true. Marriage brings a lot of challenges. I mean, as I understand it, <clears throat> I am uh, messed up. And uh, I'm a sinner, and God saved me, and now he's using pressures in my life to conform me to become more like Jesus. And one of the ways he did that is with my parents. They would put pressures on me and, and make me take the straight road, and so that was pressure. And then I have pressures from work and pressures from health and stuff. And I'll tell you what, one of God's favorite tools is your spouse, man, they grind. They know the rough spots. They know the secret rough spots. And God uses them to take, I am more like Jesus today because of the troubles of being in an intimate relationship for 36 years. That's, what it, that's worse. I'm grateful, but it's not without sorrow and tears and pain. And so that's what he said. I'm trying to spare you some of that. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. So Paul had a very, uh, a lot, the context was critical, persecution was heavy, and Jesus is coming back. And he says, from now on, those who are married should live as if they were not. Uh, not that you live in seven bedrooms, don't misunderstand, but your, your view of life is, man, we got a business to do. And those who mourn as if they did not. Does that mean you're not supposed to mourn? No, but it's time to move on, right? Those who are happy as if they were not. Does that mean you're not supposed to be happy? What is he trying to say? No, you keep moving on. We got, some, we got a job to do. This is wartime. Sometimes you, you, you throw everything overboard and you push because it's wartime, right? So I think that's the kind of things he's saying. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use things of this world as if they were not engrossed in them. Don't get so distracted by your toys that you get engrossed in them and forget you got a mission. For this world in its present form is passing away, Paul says. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world and how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. Is that not true? That's as plain as the nose on your face. I, I used to do um, Bible studies and counseling sessions and three nights of softball. and you know, I was doing all kinds of stuff when I was single. I had all kinds of spare time. I, but now my interests are divided. 
They're important interests, but they're divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this to you for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in the right way an undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if she's getting beyond the usual age of marrying and he feels he ought to marry her, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is, and I think I too have the Spirit of God. And so that's Paul's wisdom coming through. All right? So if you're taking notes, the first thing is that misunderstood slogan that I talked about. Right? For the matter you wrote about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So that's a slogan that was misunderstood, and they had taken it too far and made it that the way you were a super Christian. If you wanted to be an elder, if you wanted to be a super great Christian, what you did is you made your husband sleep in a different room. Or if you're a husband and you wanted to be a super Christian and you wanted to show everybody you made your wife sleep somewhere else. And so that is not what the Bible teaches. And Paul's making that straight. But he also wants us to understand that if it's a gift from God, if it's a, sometimes a gift is not your choice, right? If your husband or wife passed away, you're single. And sometimes that's not your choice, but that's the spot you're in right now. If you're put in that spot, some of you are single because you've never married yet. You're still too young or you haven't met the right one. And that may not be your choice, but that's where you're in the spot you're in. So those are, if you're in that spot, you need to understand that you're not inferior. You're not half a person. You're not under uh experience. You're not uh, lacking in any way. Your identity does not depend on it. As a matter of fact, this whole idea that we have to have some sort of sexual fulfillment in order to be a person is just straight pagan out of our world. You do not. The Lord Jesus was the perfect, most balanced person ever. And he didn't have a woman. He didn't need one. He had a purpose. And he was not second. And so if you're single and God calls you that, you are you're the better choice. You have made the best, not wrong to marry, but it's a better choice to be single. So again, Paul wants us to understand marriage is okay, right? Do not deprive each other, that whole section. I say this as a concession, not as a command. You don't have to deprive each other, even if you want to. You don't have, you, it's a gift, right? And to the unmarried, it's okay if you stay unmarried, if I do, but if you get married, it's not wrong. Right, so I just skipped all those verses. We read them once already. So singleness, but singleness is more okay, right? <laughs> I don't know how to say it any other way. Marriage is okay, but singleness isn't, yeah, second okay. No, it's more okay. It's more, you're more free to serve the kingdom of heaven if you're single. If God calls you to that for a time, 
for your life, for the rest of your life, however it works, that's a more okay, cool thing. And that's true. Uh, so then he who marries, the virgin does right, but he who does not marry does better, right? So that's even better. And it's, it's okay even if you've never married, right? The person who's never, ever married, I would like to you be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and the interests are divided. So you can even have focused interest or divided interest. Same with the unmarried woman, same exact thing. Um, it's not a way to restrict you, but an undivided devotion to the Lord. That's the goal. So even if you've never married, or even if you've been married before, singleness is more okay. If you've never, even if you have been married, right? If you're a widow or a widower, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So again, if you're a widower, you'd be better, it'd be more better. <laughs> it's okay to marry, but it'd be more better to not. And then the fourth point is, marry in the Lord. I don't know if you picked up on that. It's kind of a subtle thing, but this is a really big deal. You're not supposed to marry an unbeliever. And we picked that up from other verses in the Bible and other places. But who you marry, can you imagine if, if marrying an, a believer causes your interest to be divided, can you imagine how messed up your interests are going to be if you marry somebody who doesn't love Jesus? What a mess. At the core level, how do you, how do you keep going in the same direction? If, if Jesus is the most precious treasure in all of your life, if you really love him so much, that you would die for him like he's died for you. If he has purchased your body and you love him that much, how could you ever, ever unite yourself in a committed for the rest of your life relationship with a person going the other way? Man. And so you're supposed to marry in the Lord. Again, speaking to the widows here, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But, he must belong to the Lord, obviously, right? And so you marry in the Lord. Okay. So honor God with your body again, right? Stay true to your spouse. Use singleness to serve the Lord. If you marry, marry a believer. I could have just put that slide up 40 minutes ago and we could all gone home, right? But I want you to know the reason we did it all it's because we value what this book says. This is the book. And all of our ways are supposed to conform to this. All of our, we're supposed to love the law of God and our ways, our thinking, our practice. This, is, this forms our way of thinking. It's not just what we do, it's how did we get there? Why would I be single? It's to serve the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your clear teaching. May we apply it to our lives. May we take instruction. And for those in our midst who are, are single today, would you, would you comfort them and anoint them again with a special realization that they belong to you? You are good to them. You have a, they can give everything to you at this time in their life. And you can, man, just 
just minister to them. Help us as a church to forgive us for the times that we sometimes uh, don't include singles the way we should. Marriage is important, but marriage is hard. We need to honor God in, in the way we honor singles. And Father, for those of us who are married, help us to, to remember that our bodies belong to our spouse. We're not our own. We belong to you, Lord Jesus. And we don't want the enemy to have a foothold on anything. And so we, we honor you and we ask that you keep our lives pure. We thank you for our spouse and thank you for the, the pressure they put on our lives to become more like the Lord Jesus. And for those who are uh, in between, neither single nor married, but maybe engaged or in a relationship that they're thinking about. Father, we just pray that you would help them discern your will, that that other person really loves Jesus, and that it's the time for them to transition from singleness to marriage. We just pray that you would help them with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, stand with us now as we sing our, our closing song. God is a good, good father. He knows how to lead us in these, these things in our lives. He calls us all deeper still into a relationship with him, purchased through the Lord Jesus, who's purchased our bodies and forgiven us all of our sins. We can walk with our head high knowing that he has accepted us fully and there's nobody who can accuse or make us unworthy. Isn't that something? God knows everything about me, forgave it all, and it's given me everything in Christ. What a, what a blessing. For those of you as believers, man, what, a, what good news, amen? I just wish, if you are not a believer, that you could experience that too. If you have questions, please come to any one of us, and we'll tell you about it. Thank you so much. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wyoming Park Bible Fellowship. We hope and pray that it strengthened your faith and pointed you to Jesus. We want you to know, too, that we grow in our faith not just through listening to sermons, but by becoming part of a local church. If you're not part of a local church, we pray that you'll visit one soon. And if you're in the Grand Rapids or Wyoming area, we want to invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 930 for worship. May God bless you.